Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier with a mission to connect brewers worldwide with the family farms that grow their hops. YCH is proud to provide brewers in Australia and New Zealand with quality hop products and brewing solutions to elevate their beers. Learn more at yakimachief.com. Everyone looks at where is my little piece of the pie, forgetting that every little piece of the pie dilutes the broader strategy. No, uh, it doesn't. Every little piece <laughs> of the pie put together makes a really great pie. Welcome to Brews News Week, your complete wrap-up of the Australian brewing industry news this week. We aim to equip the brewing industry professionals with everything you need to know if you want to know what actually matters in the Australian beer industry. If you're a brewery or industry provider that values the new service that we provide for free and free of commercial obligation, help us to make sure that we can continue to be the most robust voice in Australian beer through a subscription or business directory listing. You can contact sam at brewsnews.com.au to find out more. And... Welcome to our now regular panellist, senior <laughs> journalist, Claire Burnett. Hey, Matt. And... <laughs> she keeps coming back. <laughs> came once. <laughs> not not first-time caller, but regular uh, panellist, yeah. Sabrina Kunz. Welcome back. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. You can certainly say that it's been a big start to the year in terms of news or no quiet start to the year. So I've been busy. How about we roll in... To the news. Shall we? First up, Lion announces a new CEO. So after an extensive global search, Lion announced the appointment of Sam Fisher as CEO of the Lion Group, joining from Diageo, where he was president of Asia Pacific and Global Travel and a member of the Global Diageo Executive Committee. He'll join Lion from July 2022, when current CEO Stuart Irvine will step down after nine years in the role. Interesting that we've seen a lot of movement at these top levels, um, but sure we'll discuss it in Below the Fold. Absolutely. And uh, now this was actually, I have to say that this was actually a nice story. Uh, Whiskey Distillers Acquire <laughs> Lions West End Brewhouse. Well, <laughs> tell us the story. And, uh, okay, brilliant. Um, so I spotted this one on a Facebook post that Austria Distillers, uh, they're based in regional Victoria, not a household name by any means, don't have their own brands, uh, but they have acquired Lion's West End Brew Kit. Uh, people remember that in 2020, Lion announced it would be closing West End in South Australia and offloading its equipment uh, just five years after it invested $70 million in major upgrades to the brewery. According to its new owners, at maximum capacity, the brewing kit can produce 120 million litres per annum and includes a 500 hectolitre Steinecker brew house. Uh, so, yeah. Big, big one, and it brought up a lot of really interesting uh, industry trends and some parallels uh, that I noticed. Again, we'll drop that below the fold. Below the fold. <laughs> uh, some more interesting news uh, from New Zealand with Clayton Hops investing in a new hop processing plant. It has indeed. Uh, this one was from our correspondent in New Zealand. Uh, new Zealand's largest hop grower is investing millions of dollars in a new hop processing plant that will dwarf existing facilities. Uh, Clayton Hops, which has four farms in the Tasman region, is building a hop palletizer, oh, palletizer, sorry, with an output of three tonnes per hour. To put that into context, uh, two other hop palletizers, one owned by New Zealand Hops and the other by Freestyle Hops, can process around one tonne per hour, so major expansion going on there. 
Um, and also across the pond. Do we call it across the pond? Across the, the Dutch. Across the ditch. Across the ditch. Okay. Across the Tasman. The we say pond if it's uh, UK and America. So that's why it's confusing. Yeah. Um, well, because it's it's a big body of water, whereas the Tasman is it's a not that big. comparative <laughs> ditch. It's a small ditch. Okay. Uh, across the ditch then. Uh, the 2021 Gab's New Zealand Hottest 100 Craft Beers was also announced. And Parrot Dog claimed the top spot uh and there's a few other interesting ones as well, um, which I'm sure Sabrina will have some opinions on. <laughs> Never. Never. We'll um, uh, we've also got uh, some interesting news from other uh, beverage industries. So, um, Cellador uh, Alcohol Consumption Initiative has been launched by Drinkwise and the Australian Grape and Wine uh, Organisation. Uh, it basically is trying to get wine tasters at cellar doors across Australia to really consider their drinking and be a bit more responsible. They've got a new initiative that w- which involves like scratchies um, to basically keep track of how much you're drinking while you're at a cellar door. Um, so it was a, a conjunction, uh, a big uh, combined effort between uh, the Minister for Health and Aged Care, Greg Hunt, uh, as well as Drinkwise and Australian Grape uh, with the uh, assistance of the Mornington Peninsula Wine Industry. Interesting one from the wine industry could have some reverberations in uh, beer. And then last up, we've got uh, the New South Wales Job Creation Fund, so the Regional Job Creation Fund in New South Wales, which last year um, totaled, it for brewers, it totaled nearly $1.5 million in funding. So Jarvis Bay, Tumut River and Beer Farm all received that um, a share of that investment. Uh and it was, it's just been really beneficial, seemingly, to brewers in New South Wales. Uh, so now round two is open to all applicants, uh, and the state government has released information for the applicants as well. So uh, click on the link in the show notes, and you can find out more on how to apply. And all of those stories, links to all of those stories, if you do want more information and you just don't want to get your news on the go, uh, in the show notes that you'll find wherever you're listening to this podcast. Now, that's the news of the week, and let's go below the fold. This week, the beer of the week is brought to you by Bluestone Yeast, Australia's first and only liquid yeast manufacturer. Bluestone Yeast have over 100 yeast strains in their biobank and are always adding more. You can reach out to them at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03 8518 3172 and talk all things yeast. If you're driving and you can't jot that number down, it is in the show notes, as is the email address. Now, Claire, this week Hello. you've got the beer of the week. You were I impressed. We, we were sent some samples this week. Yeah, one of them was sent this week and then one of them was sent a few weeks ago. So um, I don't know if I can have two, but I'm going to have two. Uh, Stomping Grounds uh, Big Sky Park Ale, which was a corker, right? So you know I'm not a big haze person. Fair enough if I have to, I'll give it a go. I'll never say no. I'll always try something first. Um, but this was a huge surprise to me. Um very much recommend it's with citro uh, citro sabro and i can't pronounce this one pronounce this one for me you cannot yeah i've never heard of that oh, one before equinot equinot there we go i've not heard of that we're one. we're gonna before. get cards and letters no matter, oh, no matter oh, what, we'll get it wrong we'll still send a barblade even if they're having a go at our pronunciation <laughs> and uh it had london ale yeast in that one as well um so that was a really good one a refreshing finish indeed uh and my second one was i'm actually gonna have to uh, do we have any more of that in the Pack that was sent to us because Ooh, I've, I've, do, I've been off for You've February good, so far. You? Not yeah, just uh, not for any reason. Just sort of uh, <laughs> having it. So I haven't done any samples, but certainly on your recommendation, I'll oh, give yes. it a try. So yes, what I was the name know. of it again? Uh, it was Stomping Grounds uh, Big Sky Park Ale. 
There we go. So one. I'll uh, give it a try and see if I can give it. Yeah. I don't know. I feel really. I don't. I don't like giving you beer recommendations, no. right? Because you, you do good at it. This is the thing. It's a no, but it's a. You're, you're giving you beer like recommendations like. to everyone right now, publicly. I know, that's <laughs> scary. But I just I can ignore their comments when Matt goes. That was crap. Like, I have to listen to. It. Well, but that's just my opinion. And like, yeah. like if I come back and sort of say, look, you know, it had this fault or whatever. Mm. But being stomping ground, I'd be very think, surprised yeah, if it had yeah. anything they like did, that. And they then did it just comes well. down to personal. They did well. Um, and then just a quick second runner-up. Shelter Brewing Co. sent us uh, a table sour. It was a 2.4%. Mm. And it was corking. Yeah. It was well nice. And just a really nice one to start off the evening as well or just have one of, of a uh, after work or whatever instead of getting oh. like a full 4%er. It I enjoyed that really one. Did, did, did you grab one? Did yeah, you grab one? I really liked it as well. Yeah, and that uh, that's a style. Like the, the, the table beer, it was something that I've commented, uh, I've been asked a couple of times of late, how beer styles need to be appropriate geographically, you know, so to, to, to a local audience. And mm-hmm. that sort of table beer style is something that is really appropriate to the time and also, you know, our, our climate in a hot yeah. summer where you just want something that, you know, maybe gives you the, 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 the very lightest touch of alcohol, you know, mm-hmm. the kiss of alcohol that you get that nice little feeling um, without actually being in any way impaired. Um, and uh, so it, it's not part of the official recommendations, but yesterday I had a very quick meeting um, being the industry that we're in, it was at a bar. <laughs> I didn't want to drink for obvious reasons um, and you know, asked the bar, you know, what low alcohol or you know, zero alcohol beers you have? And they had heaps normal. And they also had the uh, Sidewinder from... Um, Oh, Brickline. 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 Oh, um, brilliant. Which, so fortunately, I didn't have to look at the label to get potentially <laughs> confused. Um, but the beer, like again, as a, as a beer to have, it, it's 1.1%. Um, so it's outside of that ultra low. But again, the, the use case was there. Didn't want to drink. But I was in a bar. Didn't want to drink water. Um, but it's still you know, going to be a fraction of my uh, beer consumption. Well, so. the... Um the last beer of the week was a table saison. So yes. yeah, 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 no, it was. so it was, we seem yes. to be sticking pretty pretty um, low, yeah, pretty low. Got a, <laughs> I've did dry dry down even, so I was like, yeah, can't actually, go too wild. No, no, you, you had that. That's right. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. so the Bruce News team is uh, being very, very um, very dry at the moment. Very dry at the moment. Yeah, very thoughtful. Yeah, yeah. Um, conscious. Yeah, I conscious drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and uh, that very very long ad. Uh, well, Beer of the Week was brought to you by Bluestone Yeast. Um, and details in the show notes, we thank them for their support. Now, let's see, just going through the news. Um, anything on the line, new C- CEO? I just always think it's really interesting that it, these top levels of these major beverage companies, they just seem to just move around. There doesn't seem to be a lot of external diversity of opinion type things. It's very much like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought I, I thought it was interesting that they weren't hired from within the larger group. Mm. So, yes. um, from within the the larger brand portfolio. Yep. Um, so that was actually to me a bit of diversity because they're bringing in <laughs> some ideas from outside. Although the sort of diversity, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I laughed at it because I remember like fifteen, twenty years ago when I first started beer writing, railing against how the marketing teams of these big brewers, you know, they they do a. They, they work at Parmalat and then they work at sort of Procter & Gamble and then they come to the brewing industry and you're sort of like, this is just, mm-hmm. the, there are a couple of industries that seem to have the high-level marketing people just flitting between and you go, you know, where is their passion for the drinks? But he's at least come from Diageo amongst other, he, I, I think, I can't remember which, um, yeah. w- without looking at it, it uh, w- w- which mm-hmm. one of the consumer goods. Um, pa- Palmolive? 
Was it Palm Olive? Yeah, so yeah. Procter & Gamble, you know, selling but, dishwasher li- liquid. But and- I also thought the other thing it said to me, um, which is this concept, so I go on about the workforce um, challenges, the people challenges, you're hiring top talent back to Australia. Mm-hmm. So people have to leave Australia yeah. to go get um, globe that level of global expertise mm-hmm. um, and now, um, you know, Australia is attractive place in, in the global um, – way of life, I guess, the way mm-hmm. people are living their lives. And so, as, you know, it's in New Zealand they called it the brain drain and now there's so many people coming back. I'm yeah. sure that's the case here. And so hiring top talent isn't Aussie. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that was, um, you know, sometimes these people move between these brands. But an Aussie coming home with that level of expertise, I, I just thought that was good news. Great Absolutely, hire. yeah, yeah. And, and look, you know, you, you don't want us to say it's just another white male um, because – it's just not saying that there aren't, you know, we are seeing greater diversity at the higher levels of the the, the, the bigger brewers and I, I guess there will be time. And um, I have no doubt they were hired according to Lyons' stated values, include, which clearly include um, supporting a diverse work, workforce. So I have no doubt that was part of the considerations um, and um, – his values would have to align with the corporate values and at that level. something that we mm-hmm. don't have in the news this week because it was only a, a story that came through this morning, but Lion has well, – Little Creatures, one of Lion's brands, has come on as the major sponsor of the Sydney Mardi Gras. Cool. Um, which is, is a big thing. And you know, it's, it's interesting to see if you follow Lion on LinkedIn, mm. you know, where they publish a lot of their internal business focus, mm-hmm. you see that they have been – you know very significant um, corporate challenges for their workforce of supporting diversity, greater diversity in the workforce. And they're they're very, very advanced and seem very proud about the work that they're doing there. And it's nice to see that starting to bleed out into the consumer space as well um, with with support of major, you know, um, uh, events. I know that in New Zealand, um, when I was at the Brewers Guild, I actually relied on um, the people and culture team at Lion New Zealand to help me um, as a member of the Brewers Guild around some of our diversity policies. So um, last year when we did that podcast, Claire, actually mm-hmm. Lion were really, because they were so far ahead and they had the resources invested, they were able to help me as the industry association, which they, we then rolled down into our membership. So um, they have been on the forefront of um, that diversity mm-hmm space yeah. being inclusive um for some time and they've done a lot of work in that space yeah they have they very recently were talking about like parental leave and things like that which oh, is really f- industry leading mm. really industry yeah. leading yeah so good on the whole chat <laughs> incidentally yeah and, and because we touched on it last year in brewer's perspective it's when you look and, and we're going to talk about uh the um brewery radar that we published this week um that was you know, very, very extensive. Just a number of breweries that are in active construction and planning at the moment. Mm-hmm. Huge. And that and isn't even a fraction of the bigger list. I've got – I'm just looking at There it are now. so many that don't even want it to be talked about yeah. yet. Or yeah. a too um, early stage. Or a too yeah. early stage. I've got like 100 – I think nearly 150 breweries that I, are at different stages. I just can't wait for us to wrap this into another conversation. I mean, like <laughs> we've just touched on three or four major conversations about things happening in the brewing industry. Yes. There's so much that we need to talk <laughs> about. But this is going to be – you know, Lion recently had a head brewer's role at Little Creatures um, yep. that they found very hard to fill. And judging by the – length of time and the number of times that they wanted it pushed out and they pushed it out themselves. It is one of the 
talked about but vastly underestimated challenges that the industry is going to face um, that it actually is facing now where with the breweries that are opened the challenges facing finding not just good brewers but brewers with experience in recipe development um, production management all of those more advanced experience level skills and, no, and not just that but also I mean this is um, this is my soapbox if I wanted one but the challenge of um, the people in our industry and maintaining a skilled workforce to support the size and growth of this industry is like just becoming an existential challenge and um, so it's not just technical brewing skills but I think it was um the chair of the IBA in his chat with you was talking about, well, how – so you go up the ranks and then you're the head brewer of a small brewery and you then also have to be chief people officer. So you've got to deal with these diversity challenges. You need to know how to do that. You, you, you've got to know your HR. You've got, so I just think it is such an underrated space um, and, and the list of breweries and we know that, what you say, 150 coming on? I mean, are you telling me that there are 150 technically skilled senior brewers out in the country and mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting that everyone sh- can't start from being a skilled home brewer I-, I just think this is the challenge of the next five to ten years mm-hmm. for this industry um, and so not to go on a deep dive I'm hoping that we can find another time but things like parental leave mm-hmm. and and great um, benefits offered by some of the larger brewers mm-hmm. are, are going to be under consideration and I also think this question about um, attracting talent from overseas, you know, I want to know, can we get... But then also the budgets, oh, because it, it's still oh, This shortage. is on my list of things. Mm-hmm. Um, salaries. Salaries are going mm-hmm. up over, you know, I, is, I think even two years ago, like the do, reasonable salary for a reasonably experienced brewer was sixty-five to $85,000 a year. That's, and, a, that's high compared to New Zealand. Yeah, but it's it, it's being dragged up. Of because, course, it's going to have to be, it's going right? to have to be. And so but then that puts How many price of these 150 breweries are factoring that extra, you know, in their spreadsheets when they open, that extra, you know, mm-hmm. $25,000 that they need to pay to get an experienced brewer plus the on cost. I mean, all of the thoughts that I have in mind, I would love some economic modelling on the cost of making a beer if you factor in wage growth. Um, Increased costs across a whole host of things, increased distribution. So I want to know about that because that's – I think there's going to be cost pressures on um, – beer and then that relates to the question about raising prices and so I think all of those things are combined so the wage pressures are going to see the potential for different breweries have to think about um, price passing on price increases Um, and then I think um, you know I would love to know what are the salaries are they actually moving you know like I just said pre-podcast I you know, there's all this data somewhere that this I would love to see. This is the sort of thing that we're trying to find. But again, people are very careful about giving that data. Oh, it, yes. It's interesting that with our brewers database, like mm-hmm. the, the brewers network, yep. I've had a lot of people go, oh, how's this data going to be used? And we yeah. go, well, it's just going to have a name, a brewery, you know, stuff that you, you can find. But people are very concerned about providing some information. Mm-hmm. Um and you're going, well, as they should be in the world that we live in. Oh, well, as you should be, but it, when it's just a name and you've yeah. worked at this brewery and here is the connection between you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, getting salary figures and things out of people is is very hard. And I know that the brewers, you know, the, the IBA has struggled with that in the past and it's not just resourcing, it's mm-hmm. people's willing to provide it. But this is a sort of information, this is a sort of reason why it's very, very uh, important. This but, is uh, the thing for people in our industry to keep their eye on. Yeah. Yep. But I do think people will be willing to maybe sacrifice a bit of that salary not 
go for the higher paid job if they get a four day week or flexibility. But, and or this is incidentally where or whatever it might be. Yeah. Which this nice big loop that we've done, bringing <laughs> yeah. it back to the line announcement of UCO yeah, and um, exactly. all of the things that they've done. There is so much focus on craft breweries competing against tap contracts or the marketing yeah. resources that big brewers have. They're actually going to be competing against a company like Line that wants to be seen as the employer of choice in the industry and is offering all of this, you know, <laughs> I mean, it just some of the basics, like a very, very work-safe environment, but then also all of these broader... All the wraparound stuff, even yep. just the technical training. Like, mm-hmm. I keep making yep. the argument about how many of our successful um, independent breweries are founded on a head brewer that came from the large brewery technical training processes. So many of them mm-hmm. got really seriously, um, you know, high-skilled training through... And there are some terrific craft, for want of a better term, craft-sensitive yeah. brewers in the, the big breweries... Agreed, totally. ...who volunteer a lot of time to help breweries, but they talk about the golden handcuffs where yeah. it's kind of like, I get to brew, but I get all of these benefits and I get this lifestyle that if I went to some yeah. small brewery, my life would completely change. And so we're, we're seeing, we, we are seeing a progression I mean, on one hand with the passion in the industry for the, for the small end, yep. you know, your mining passion, but then people are getting burnt out and either leaving the industry, which means that there's a whole yep. range of We've skills. We've seen quite a bit of that. Um, or they're going to, to the big breweries because they can have the best of both worlds. And look, I just, um, there is... So- I mean, we've really below the folded two news articles, <laughs> like hardcore <laughs> deep dive. I know, but I think this is such a massive um, conversation um, that I'm really pleased to see. Oh, we're going to tease you, out a whole lot of threads. That you, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that you've got that on the radar because I just think um, it's just massive. Yep. Um, whiskey Distillers. Now, I said uh, Whiskey Distillers acquire Lions West End Brewhouse. Now, I got very excited this when one. this first came came through, thinking yeah. that they were they'd bought the whole thing. Oh, um, they so can't like afford this, that. So That's like prime real estate. Yeah, well, it, it, yeah, I, was, I thought, yeah, it's going to be. <laughs> oh my yeah, god, it, it's, it's so not going to cool. just become apartments. But they've bought the stainless yes, steel. Sorry. Yeah, it's. it's uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, and, and actually, I might even get. Um, I'm making a note. Get uh, our good friend uh, James Atkinson on next week because I'm fascinated. It's an allied industry in a way. You know, I remember writing an article for the Virgin Inflight magazine. 15, 16 years ago when craft beer was still early, but then the Mm -hmm. spirits industry was kind of coming out of that. And you had some of the early whiskey distillers because of the length of time that you need to Mm. hold things in store. um, They weren't investing in breweries and things. So they, you know, Cascade um, was making a lot of the wash um, for... And it still does, I believe. Oh, does it? Okay. Apparently the Tasmanian breweries still are the biggest suppliers of wash. But so. one of the interesting, given our interest in things like provenance and mm-hmm. independence and, you know, the, the, the marketing, it's interesting to see how many distilleries, uh, particularly the gin distilleries, that are just buying ethanol in mm-hmm. and then just essentially flavouring it. I um, can't remember it. <laughs> and there are distillery. <laughs> where t- has Sean Bevan from White Lies, I remember getting into a really – so he's involved, he's the spirits, the distilling mm. side of their brewery, and I get it, remember getting into a really um, deep dive conversation. I can't remember the outcomes, but it was about this precise topic, particularly when it comes to competitions, so distilling competitions. Mm. You know, like if you haven't made it from scratch yourself, are you eligible to win it if you've actually got it from over here? Yep. Um, the other thing that I've noticed is – and, and you made the joke about gin, but 
every every second craft brewery in New Zealand now has their own gin, makes their own gin. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the same is thing it, over is here. Is it here? Yep, yep, same thing over here. Young Henry's has got a spirits well, uh, Yeah, probably not every second. No. Um, no, no, no. Not, wait, wait, so, so is that anecdotal numbers? Or yeah, is, is, totally is that yeah. anecdotal <gasps> numbers. I was going to say, Sabrina. Okay, it's based on my Facebook feed, which might mean that they're serving me up. it's certainly a significant thing. It's significant. Black Ops are doing it. Minecraft are doing it. And I guess my thoughts went straight to, so when I think about it, not from an offering, which I love, but from a diversification. So I was thinking cost pressures, all of those things we were talking about before. We've talked about diversification and there's sort of diversification and distribution. But um, we talked about the wart kits. Well, you know, gin that you can make on site mm. um, with limited space mm-hmm. um, as another product yep. that might have slightly higher margins. I was going to say the higher margins will be attractive. Gin um, would be fantastic because it doesn't need the aging. Like that's a, it, it doesn't whiskey. need the aging, yeah. which is why been. it's yep. – and brewers love to drink gin, so it's got this complementary yep. thing around the aromatics. And mm-hmm. so, you know – you understand why breweries do it, right? You I understand what the product why the life cycle will be because gin is having its moment. Yeah. Gin is in, um, and there's a whole. So, it, it's fascinating when you see all of the cocktails that yep. come that are suddenly gin-based cocktails, yeah. and uh, you know, will whiskey come back, or will something else come back, sure. or you know, are we going to be having a limoncello, you know, renaissance or something like that? But. Um, <laughs> We'll see. We don't know. Um, And the other point as well on that one, bringing it all the way back around to our um, employment uh, conversation, if whiskey distillers need or want to do their own wash, they're going to need their own in-house brewer. And therefore, we've got a whole other industry that needs brewers. So because they're thinking the exact same thing, we want to make everything in-house. We want to have control over the flavour profile of our wash. We bring out of that wash, um, what the brewer makes of it. But if we have greater control over that, we bring that in-house, we have our own brewer, then we are truly like Australian. But we, like, we know where our That's fascinating. But it's like also that. that interesting conversation around why production breweries struggle to get production brewers because everybody wants to do the – everybody wants to be the creative brewer, right? And so that's and the question. And you're much less the face. Um, yeah. You're, you're much less a, you know, for, for one of a the, the rock star or the yep. celebrity brewer yep. when your face is on it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you wonder whether – Actually, they're going to struggle to get the right talent to make wash. Anyway, yeah. that's fascinating. Uh, but also, I mean, it, it makes sense because, as you know, um, I'm a big believer in beer shouldn't travel. You know, we shouldn't be sending beer um, mm-hmm. on major distribution pathways across the country. It's expensive to do and mm-hmm. it's not good for the product. The same isn't true of spirits. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's... And they don't seem to have the same concerns at, to start with, obviously, there aren't the same concerns in terms of shelf life or anything like mm. that, but they aren't as concerned about environmentally speaking. When I was talking to Austria Distillers, they were like, we want to make Australian whiskey like the biggest worldwide trend. Like it's Japanese whiskey, it's Irish whiskey. Mm. We want that to do that with Australia. So instead of looking at the internal markets like the like the beer mm. world does, they look global well, beer from day one. Beer shouldn't be – like that's the thing. Any Australian brewer who sets up to be an exporter mm-hmm. – I, I just think you're setting themselves up to fail. Oh, I won't yeah. be going for them margins. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, but even Stone, like Stone and Wood, contract brewed mm-hmm. in the UK when they were looking at uh, UK markets because mm-hmm. it's you. You just can't make the economics or the beer quality work yeah. in comparison. And like you know, when we tried Little Creatures, even though they had the benefits of you know Little Creatures in San Francisco, the pale ale, you're going, why would anyone come to a Little Creatures brewery? It was before they'd started producing mm-hmm. locally, but even that beer was. 
tired um, from crossing the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just not something that seems to affect spirits. Oh. Export for beer. Put that on the list of <laughs> like many, one of our many topics. things yep. to discuss. Um, Speaking of export. Uh, well, I was going to look at Clayton Hops. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, the news story here is Clayton Hops invests in a new processing plant. But this is a much, much bigger story um so new zealand so in australia you've got a couple of smaller individual independent growth uh, growers but then hpa is the by and large the dominant grower um you know part of the bathhouse group um in new zealand you've got a lot of i think 27 independent growers who make up nz hops who make up new zealand hops which is a cooperative mm-hmm. and my understanding of a cooperative is that a cooperative you know so you've got um your individual growers they sell into the co-op the co-op then markets and sells to you know locally and uh, externally is that basically how yeah I mean at at a theory level a cooperative is just a member-based organization Mm. um, that that joins forces for a purpose so no one brewer has to own so so you don't sorry so you don't have 27 hop growers with Pelletising machines. You don't have twenty-seven hop growers marketing with marketing and distribution. Team. You don't have, yeah, correct. So and they join together to, you know, um, it's why people join the IBA, right? Mm. To get it, it's essentially a membership organisation at heart. How the the shareholding, for want of a better word, or the co-op model or the co-op contract works between those individual brewers, what the governance is, what the rights of those growers are, no idea. Look, I don't know that about NZ Hops. I haven't seen one of the grower agreements mm. um but yeah there's 27 that make up nz hops then there are some that are independent um in the sense that well and this is i think the point you're gonna make about private equity invest in hop growing regions yep. or in, in hop growing and in small little small smatterings around the country in other parts of the country there's now an interest in sort of small independent hop growing and then of course we've got freestyle farms who um are another I want to say larger, but they don't have the number of hectares. A freestyle, uh, the private equity backed. Yeah, growing in um, yep. uh, sort of garage project are um, in partnership with them around okay. Harpy, which is the research arm. Mm, so, because yep. okay. and, and and this is what I find very interesting because uh, two years ago in twenty twenty, HPA announced that they were distributing Clayton hops, um, some of the non proprietary New Zealand hops through um, uh, from Clayton Hops and mm-hmm. again not having an in-depth knowledge of the New Zealand industry I sort of jumped on you know there was no mention of Clayton Hops on the New Zealand Hops um, website on the Clayton Hops you saw the story of the family and their hop growing mm-hmm. and, and all of these things that didn't talk about them being members of uh, New Zealand Hops and so I assumed that they were one of these new... So that is still the case. I, I actually looked at this last night um, because, you know, I was trying to understand what proportion of NZ Hops um, sort of growing capacity came from um, Clayton and I, I couldn't figure that out but there is no mention of Clayton Hops in the NZ Hops profile information and I'm not sure if that's supposed to be commercially sensitive or not um, and, and that leads me back to sort of the question of what is the arrangement arrangement and, this, and, to, and, and trust me I've gone looking that. because in addition to those two individual pieces of the puzzle last year Mac Hops which is one of the yeah. significant um, you know one of the fifth generation hop grower in New Zealand 
you know, who is a celebrated member of New Zealand Hops Limited, um, announced a distribution deal with Yakima Chief Hops um, in into North America, and. You know, on one hand, everybody, when you sort of speak to various parties involved in New Zealand Hop, everyone goes, oh, yeah, no, New Zealand Hops Limited is strong. We want to be part of it. But then you increasingly see these <laughs> um, individual businesses that are part of the cooperative doing things that at least to an external viewer look like they're separate branding exercises or separate, you know, we want to control a little bit more of what we do when you sort of think, well, isn't that the, isn't building a brand for the whole of the New Zealand hop industry a benefit that comes from being having a very very strong cooperative and having you know that brand stronger than your own individual brand, and you know isn't having a central body invest in expensive infrastructure like pelletizers the point of having a, a cooperative yeah I, so we also missed um hop revolution of the private equity uh, the, okay. uh, the fourth um or the third okay. sort of there this in the last so couple much of years. more complex than i ever thought it would be so, so I, <laughs> I keep thinking it's chinatown jake because no one wants to talk you know from an outside yeah. every now and then you sort of see a body sort of <laughs> and, and, and the police inquiries don't find anything <laughs> but there seems to be a whole lot going on so that no one's I, talking about so i wouldn't you know I, I think um, I think NZ Hops has done an incredible job at Brand New Zealand. Hundred um, percent. And I think that is certainly from a marketing. You know, they've really stepped it up in the last couple of years. They've mm-hmm. changed some things. Um, and NZ Hops, um, you know, is quite a bit older than some of these um, newer interests or, or, or larger scale interests. New Zealand Hops as a collective is a is a bit older than them. But obviously, the individual growers were there before NZ Hops existed as a cooperative. And so I think, you know, New Zealand Hops has done an amazing job around this sort of brand New Zealand. They are also, I should add, one of the entities that invests back into, so they have been members of the Brewers Guild, so they they market and support the other things that happen in the industry. Um, uh, Freestyle Farms, so Harpy have done that through their symposium. Mm-hmm. Um but what I think New Zealand Hops here has done that's really interesting, which sounds very distinct from what Clayton Hops has just announced, is that New Zealand Hops have got this partnership with Plant and Food Research, um, which enables them to have the IP around new hop varietals. So presumably that means that the hop growers who have formed part of the NZ Hops Collective will have the rights to grow those new hop varietals um, and others uh, grow and then therefore distribute through the... Um, through the cooperative, those hop varietals. And so that is a strategic move that is very clever. Um, and it sounds like, you know, Clayton, I had a quick look at the numbers last night. So, um, and Matt did some um, good um, size translations for me. It was almost a hectare. Acres and hectares. Yeah. Acres and hectares. It was almost a hectolitre conversation. But um, NZ Hops, um, their 2021 profile says that they've got 755.5 hectares of um, hop farming and Clayton Hop says that they've got a maximum of um, what turns out to be 485 hectares. So not all of that is under farm currently, but clearly they've got a growth strategy. But that then makes up half of that total NZ Hops profile. So I'm not clear on sort of, you know, if you're a member of the cooperative, can you carve out and say these two farms are or these X portions of mm. hectares goes to you and the rest we do independently and I don't mm. know. But... You know, just looking at those numbers, there's obviously growth 
in New Zealand hops. There's there's mm. more farms, there's more investment, there's more interest. Um, and the point Clayton made is that there's 1% of, of hops used internationally comes from New Zealand, why can't more? Yep. Um, and That's impressive on its own, New Zealand's small. Like I think everyone forgets how small New Zealand is and, and how big of, America is. And in the middle of nowhere, yeah. I should say. But that gives you, this is, you know, if you come back to Brain New Zealand, this number eight wire, the ability to be innovative, small marketplaces, the ability to test... Um, and, you know, they are investing in research. And so I think Clayton's is probably the largest producer um, of the NZ Hops Cooperative, and mm-hmm. it said, we want to make a capital investment in something that's going to improve our business. Mm-hmm. But given that you're in a membership organisation, do you want to make that investment through a membership organisation where everybody would have an equal share yeah, yeah. if you've but made the large... That's point. But, but that's yeah. the thing. Isn't that the point of having the cooperative? And does that start to diminish no. the strength of the cooperative if you've got individual members? Um, no, I don't think so. Because I, I, I think about this... So when, we, when I was at the Brewers Guild, you know, sometimes we would have individual members who were larger, more resourced or... Mm-hmm progressive or more skilled in a particular area investing in something and doing it really publicly and I would think oh I wish we would have done this all together it would have been it would have benefited everyone but the reality is that those individuals are pushing the boat out either bringing more consumers to it um, getting government awareness again 100% but then you get the small brewers who don't have those resources starting to see the attention and, and I, I get this complaint all of the time from you know when you see brewers in, in the same thing the smallest brewers then get jealous of the big brewers and see that they're getting an advantage and they, they're getting bigger thing and they start to you know instead of going this is awesome the mm. rising tide so lifts all boats they're going I, hold on you know my boat isn't going up as much I as agree. their boat um, and this is why and um I don't want to get into an independence argument or discussion, <laughs> lengthy discussion, but this is why in New Zealand I argued for us to all stick together because because if you are small and have no resources and you say, screw it, I'm not going to take the help that you're going to give me, I'm not going to um, be a part of this industry, I'm going to go it alone, it is going to be harder. Yeah. It is going to be so much <laughs> harder because take what you can get and the investment by these large breweries or in this case hops growers that are making an investment into a region into a country it might not be the way that you would do it and it might not be what's best for your personal business model but if you can get behind it and be supportive it's ultimately going to be better for everyone but i I can again just from my little corner of the 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 beer world with australian bruce news um you know we get just about everybody saying look i read in fact i think we have everybody saying look i read bruce news it's an important you know, addition to the brewing set, we wouldn't, you know, we are where we get our industry news from because you cover the industry news, not consumer news. And then you say, so, well, how about you take a subscription? Well, what do I get? <laughs> you, you, you just told you, me what you, you get. You told me what you get. <laughs> you get to make sure that we stay independent yep. because that we, we've got a, a great spread of support from across the industry so we don't have to focus on when – so we're independent. Uh, and then they, but you know, well, will you write about me? No, because you don't want to read about you know six hundred other breweries either, and they don't want to read about you. We give you the the content that's relevant. We do the news um, when it when it's news. But this is the problem for any organisation that wants to actually achieve anything more broadly. Everyone looks at 
where is my little piece of the pie? Forgetting that every little piece of the pie dilutes the broader no, strategy. No, it doesn't. Every little piece of the pie put together makes a really great pie. I agree, And so it does. if everybody d- does their bit, and so I actually think, you know, if I step back and look at this, I mean um, the Clayton Hopps um, announcement, it raises a whole host of questions that I wish I knew the answers to just because I like to be informed. But on its face, it seems very complimentary to me in the sense that New Zealand hops are doing a great job at harnessing the IP, so making some plays with government and doing a really good job of marketing brand New Zealand. And you've got a large player who wants to do more in terms of sort of the on-site manufacturing and processing. Um, They're already talking about a potential partnership. NZ hops will also have limited resources Yep. Um, and so, you know, this is a partnerships um, and it's on my list for another whole discussion, but partnerships <laughs> but and I things c- coming I, well, together are the way. that partnership where, you know, three or four little – and again, look, I, I don't know if this is New Zealand, but if this is the um, New Zealand hops situation, but it, it is a problem that you sort of see the four or five little members who you want in the association, start seeing the advantages that the person who actually owns that stuff. And, you know, well, we couldn't get our hops processed, at, you know, but this is where we don't know. But I can see that there are a whole well, lot of potential governance issues that are... Yeah. There's always going to be governance. There's always going to be a company that's unhappy. There's always going to be somebody who reads into a story. There are always going to be challenges. I mean, I had the conversation earlier that says, okay, well, if these um, independent hop growers are out there selling their product into the US market and NZ Hops is selling their product into the US market, can you get rewalker hops from the same farm from two dist- different mm. distribution channels? And then I thought, well, does it matter? Because the hop grower is still getting <laughs> their hops into the hands of um, – as long as you're not compete. I mean, it's the point you make, Matt, around beer. If you start saying mine is a – I don't know, I can't think of a better term, but a better beer. My <laughs> beer. <laughs> I, I trademark, registered yeah, yeah. trademark. No, no all lowercase. All, all, all lowercase. Um, <laughs> our, our is low carb, yours is high carb, therefore high carb is bad. It's that question that says, mm-hmm. how can you go to market and sell the same Rewalker hop through two different distribution channels and make an argument about why one is better than the why you should yep. buy from us and then ultimately it comes down to service. So let's hope they compete on service and they don't compete by slamming the product um, produced. But anyway, the, again, fascinating fasc- conversation. Fascinating. Um, and it's going to be very interesting <laughs> to watch. And I should say that New Zealand Hops are subscribers to our business directory and, and again, yet we talk about them robustly and independently and we thank them for their support. But also if you like the fact that we potentially risk upsetting um, people, then <laughs> maybe yeah. but I, but I think this that's is it, why you should subscribe <laughs> yeah. to, uh, to give but us But this the says really good things about New Zealand hops, right? Yeah. They and are New Zealand investing is a country. And it's New not just hobbits. <laughs> Matt, I told you. <laughs> Can't I, mention hobbits. No mentioning hobbits. <laughs> you guys are such... Hobbits are a big tourism draw card I for New love Zealand. No, love you know what it's a big tourism draw card for? The NZ Ale Trial. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> If you are going to New Zealand to look at the hobbits or the little <laughs> hobbit town to drink great beer, well, you're probably let's face it, you're probably I'd go flying to see the over as well. For well, the if hobbits. you're going to, yeah. then but you if you're go- there for the hobbits <laughs> and you like craft beer, the place to find out where the best craft beer is is the New Zealand Ale Trail. www.nzaletrail.com or at NZ Ale Trail on social media to find the best beer experiences in New Zealand this week. They announced a slight 
lessening of the restrictions mm-hmm. to get there. So we July. Can, July. July. <gasps> so when did they announce it? So um, they, so it's a it's a it's a stepping down, which okay. basically means from July, non visa holders in visa free countries, which is Australia from July, you can get back in. So if Birvana goes ahead in August okay. So I won't be there for the hop harvest. But no, no, okay. no hop harvest. there is there is a hope. Or it can go to the ballot, I guess. Nah, man, okay. as if you're anyway. essential to the whole <laughs> Pretty sure they need, like, real people, real people <laughs> to get in. I think you're essential for New Maybe Zealand. Maybe they need harvest. international coverage of the hobbits. I don't know. So, you, you are know, just digging yourself an anyway, absolute When we good. can get in there in July, when, indispen- when dispensable people like myself can get there, I will be... Heading over to New Zealand and checking out the New Zealand Art Trail, and so should you. Don't worry, guys. I'll see you on Friday at Birvana. There we go. Now, I don't know why you – okay, nicely segued, yep. but we hadn't finished talking about the news, and so now suddenly we've well, what, given the mailbag we sponsor. Well, um, we can no, do no, we Gabs in New Zealand's Hottest 100, so we'll just go from New Zealand to no, New Zealand I, I, to New Zealand. I did want to talk about the Celador Alcohol Consumption Initiative launched. Again, uh, drink-wise, yes. um, doing things – now – this I wanted to talk about this because last Friday um, on ABC in Queensland, I was asked to just to speak about seltzer because there are no, you know, I'm beer mad <laughs> in Brisbane. Writing. There hey, is Matt, no seltzer mat. Matt, where could we find that? Um, where could we find what you said to a- ABC? Is it on our? Is it on your website? No, shut up. Oh, thank do you. we read? Thank you for the that? dig. No, I, I didn't. Anyway. <laughs> Um, but it was interesting. So I would, they, they just wanted a background about seltzers, who makes them, because there was uh, the, the seltzer brewery on the Gold Coast. Yes. Yep. That I should know. It's Claire. called Hard Fizz, isn't it? Hard Fizz. Um, the, the first actual, you know, rather than just of knocking it off as a, um, as a, a contract. As a site, yeah. They yeah. actually have a brewery, even though mm-hmm. most of their volume does come out of a um, contract, which is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But so I just explained, you know, explained a little bit around the tax, explained that it's, you know, sorghum-based. It's essentially an industrial alcohol when you look at it that way, you know, to, to make it clear, to make it look like water with the flavourings, it's essentially, despite that it's, um, you know, put forward as this clean, green, new age drink, it's basically industrial alcohol that's mm-hmm. flavoured for a new generation of beer drinkers. It's sold as a better for you product, which I have personal concerns for. So I was, in terms of a beer writer talking about alcohol, I was very, very balanced and sort of talked about, you know, the sort of pros and the cons of it. But then they got on a an expert from the University of Queensland okay. to talk about the marketing of it. Oh God, and, okay. of course, he was a member of FAIR. And so he oh, talked about the – we did our surveys that showed, sugar. you know, and sort of, yeah, completely. And at, at a couple of times, because I'd been so balanced in talking about alcohol, the industry's requirements for responsibility, yeah. that, you know, I do have problems with marketing these things. Alcohol is alcohol. You can't mm-hmm. market something that just doesn't have sugar in as mm-hmm. better for you because yep. it's still alcohol. He had nowhere to go. Because uh, um, he expected it. you to say, "Oh, this is amazing!" This is well, who, who knows it's what so he said? Healthier. Like it wasn't him versus yeah. me. It was no, just no, he no. followed me, and then he said, "Oh, as the earlier speaker said, you know, sort of this." <laughs> so he's actually quoting me. Love and that. then uh, the, the, the the host said. Um, Look, you know, the, the, the marketing is a bit concerning. Um, you know, last week we looked at, um, and I'd, I'd been on the week before talking about um, alcohol-free marketing in uh, supermarkets. Yes. And then they did this whole follow-up um, about alcohol-free marketing. So I'm clearly there, not speaking as somebody who's trying to sell alcohol. I'm mm-hmm. yeah, you're an industry of that, journalist, yeah. which is what we should be. Mm-hmm. But then, so this guy says, and so the, 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 the host then said to this guy, um, look, 
you know, who patrols marketing goes, there is no marketing, you know, there is no one who holds the marketing industry for account. So I'm on the you phone texting into the producer going, no, there's this thing called ABAC. And so she read out the question, so the host then read out the question on air going, yeah. well, uh, you know, Matt's followed up so saying there is this thing called ABAC and that there, he goes, oh, 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 you know, it caught him off guard because he <laughs> said that there was nobody. <gasps> and so this guy, and he goes, oh, oh, but that's the industry regulating itself. And so I'm so firing in the question, but, they make more his group make more complaints than any which body. it would be great it's if we knew that um, factually we know part of that factually that cancer, the cancer council literally in one of their own reports said we gave this many and ABAC actually about ABAC. called them out and yeah. ABAC called them out for and fair play to ABAC they were actually reasonably fair about it they could have gone look at this blah, blah, blah. but, this but actually they were like actually problematic is, because yeah. look, so, I understand. so how does this come back to the okay well so fair uh, <laughs> it, look it, it was just it was nice to see that so Drinkwise is a body yep. that is supported by um, it, association. It, 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 it's all of the alcohol manufacturers yep. Yep. doing what I think is industry leading like they so it's not but it's the large alcohol manufacturers. So the IBA, for example, is no. not a member of Drinkwise. The yeah. Brewers Association is a member of but Drinkwise. So Fair, but Drinkwise stole isn't a member of the IP. Or Fair actually it's ran the same marketing it's campaign. Funded by yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So, so it's funded by so, but because it's funded by the alcohol industry, no matter what they do, mm-hmm. their initiatives are completely shit canned by mm-hmm. Fair. Yep. Even when Fair then steals what is essentially the IP, um, you know, your children are seeing your drinking. That was a campaign, mm-hmm. an, an international award-winning campaign yeah. that Drinkwise did 10 years ago. But then, so so that's so my little story just sort of talks about this is how irrelevant FAIR are. The Foundation of Alcohol Research and Education are not doing any legitimate research. They're not doing any education. Look, I, I really support we do need to educate. And it was nice to mm-hmm. get our uh, um, Shanna Wan from yep. Sober in the Country. It's nice to see the recognition that these groups, you know, the Dry July, the alcohol-free, all of these mm-hmm. things are the industry getting its house in order and doing the it, responsible it, things. And yet the one body and that purportedly that received over $100 million in government funds doesn't account for any of that, doesn't talk about where its research goes – is prepared to get on and not give the industry credit where credit is due. So anyway, so that was just a little I story. really liked this this cellar door. The reason I liked it is that it's practical. So it is a like yep. a practical on yep. the ground boots in it. and I remember like I think that since I've worked in the industry, I've been much more thoughtful about what is one standard drink. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, than I was previously, right? And, you know, you go get poured a large wine somewhere or you have multiple tastings, and, and I can see how this would be really valid. And I think, you know, um, anything that the beer industry can do to to be um, thoughtful about this and to, and to participate in these sorts of things and look at what wine is doing around that, I just think is really advantageous because um, I understand that, beer as an industry we rely on volume Mm. but people are clearly getting educated all of these campaigns are working people are making healthy choices they're not drinking a la u2 for a period of time or they're choosing low alcohol or 
things with other labels on it, low carb. I understand your views on that, Matt. But my point oh, is, oh no, no, no. But again, like, a, it, yeah. yeah, it's all part. It's of that all trend. part of the trend. Well, can I just say? I'm just going to interject a little parenthesis. I hate it when people go. I know you're as if you have to apologise for the view. I'm not apologising. I just don't. Beer. I love. I just um, don't want to go down the yeah. rabbit hole of. <laughs> I, I'm just referencing it as there is a movement of people wanting information mm. and having practical tools. Remember when, um, and this is an example of, remember when there were the, um, um, oh, this is a bit sort of sad really, but there were the um, <laughs> coasters that came out at bars that you could use to like check if your drink had been spiked. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Like yep. you could put it in and I it would remember, go pink yeah. and stuff. Oh, and okay, so, no, I don't. God, so, it's so sad that we need that. It's kind yes. of like a, a rapid antigen test for your for your drink. Yeah. For your potential date. But yeah, um, I, I guess my point around that was that was another like pa- practical or ask for mm. Angela, like these things that actually matter to people, boots on the ground, in your tap room, what can you do? And, and I but thought this was a great example. the supposed lead, you know, prime body for research and education or, you know, for moderation and responsibility. Sure. Giving any credit to these things that actually are yeah. yeah, I mean, but I you don't do good things to get credit. You do them because they're good. And that's clearly what we as an industry <laughs> well, no, are doing. Except you've got this body, which is the peak body for the anti alcohol, who are the people that go to for media. And then the media just assume, you know, they'll, they, they ran the um, fetal alcohol syndrome campaign, I know. which we fully support, you know, except they're using that as a Trojan horse. You know, a $25 million paid for by the Australian taxpayer, Trojan Horse. A Trojan Horse, but there is no evidence that it is actually educated middle-class people. And who they're are certainly not doing any research about fetal alcohol. Or if they are, they're, they're not publishing it. No. And it's, there are a whole range of social issues around that that, you know, again, makes it a much more complicated, but they're using it as a stalking horse for the entire alcohol yeah. industry when, when it's not, which to my mind, delegitimizes them as a body because they're not actually doing practical, meaningful research to lower people's yeah. drinking. They're a strident, harpy... Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, yeah. they're, they're, they're a strident um, anti-alcohol campaigner um, in the background. Anyway, I, I think we've got that one on the ground. <laughs> Flog that dead horse. Okay. Um, now, we, given that we've done the mailbag that was proudly presented we by the New Zealand... Uh, no, well, we've we, done the ad. Oh, right. Proudly presented by New Zealand Ale Trail. Mailbag from Wade Curtis. Um, the Dan Murphy's. Thoughts on the new Dan Murphy's ad? I'm pretty sure he started in his garage and James Squire <laughs> was his best mate. Interesting play to humanise the brand. Ultimately, I think most people just want the convenience low prices. There's no doubt as they expand their range in craft beer, it's getting a lot harder for independent bottle shops to compete. There is also the fact that a lot of breweries are now focusing on online sales direct to consumers. Again, yeah, like go look at it. It is... Um, I always thought the whole thing was a bit weird. Actually. I thought it was so Seems really weird. Odd. I was so confused. No, no, yeah. I it didn't know what I because no one gives a shit that it's owned by. Yeah, they, they've spun it out. No one knows or cares that it's owned by Woolworths anymore, it's even not though owned by it's Woolworths big. Anymore. No, but they're, I didn't know what the ad was trying to. They're achieve. trying to present it as the <laughs> like as a little local. The people. It, it's a little bit like Brewdog. The people who care about all of Brewdog's misfortunes. Potentially not going to buy it, but they are such a small part of the Brewdog audience these days. This is trying to make Dan Murphy's look like this small, you know, the little engine that could. It's this, isn't this a great story? Not that it is part of the massive duopoly of the liquor. Um, yeah. The people who see this, the people go, oh, you know, I'm going to go, I don't mind going to this big box retailer because, yeah, it was 
cute advert. Made I, me look friendly. I, so I thought this ad was really weird. But it during weird. the week, I sent Matt a Heineken ad. Mm. Um, and it was about... Solving your problems, getting over differences over beer. Get, getting over differences sort of over a yep. beer. But it was done... It was... I th- it was so effective, and the way it came across my it came across my LinkedIn newsfeed mm. um, because of public sector leadership. So this is government leadership, and it was talking about new ways of explaining things of getting over differences. And I and solve at, your problem over and beer, problems which is a nice message over beer. And I thought that, and I saw it, and I thought. Heineken are bloody geniuses. Like this is another – I know I spruced the Spates ad a couple of weeks ago, but I saw this Heineken ad and I thought you forget that it's about beer. Mm-hmm. But the message that you can have a drink and get over differences and then Heineken is in your brain lasts. I watched that Dan's ad and it was just so strange. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. stick in my mind. Like I forgot about it until it was raised. Mm-hmm. The imagery I thought was terrible. I just, I was not a fan. No, it was an odd one. And coming from a country where we don't, like, personify our bottle shops, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? But uh, th- th- they've odd. reached a stage where they're so big that for the audience that mm. will just have a very, very casual interest, if it registers with them, they'll go, oh, actually, Dan Murphy's, you know, isn't that great? There was a guy called Dan okay. Just like but the, the number of people who think that James Squire started the Malt Trouble or the James Squire Brewery, but even then, Lion, a couple of years ago, they ran a, you know, Chuck Hahn, brilliant story. Like, the story of how, of, of Chuck as an ambassador for Lion was brilliant. And yet, when the marketing team for Malt Trouble a couple of years ago, they created this largely nonsense campaign um, around Chuck and his three mates over a bit. You know, it was kind uh-huh. of like three blokes in a garage yeah. starting the, the, the campaign. Yeah. That uh, was Wade's point. <laughs> yeah, well and, well, and that's every brewery and, you know, every brewery, you know, when, when you need a story, you create – if you're a small contract brand, as we talked about with Bondi Beer, you still want to pretend that you've got a brewery, even though it's your home brew kit in the garage in Bondi, mm-hmm. even though you're never actually going to produce a commercially available beer there. You know, it, and we still say we outgrew our brewery. No, you didn't. You never actually <laughs> brewed there. Um, everyone needs a brand story. As people become much more aware of small and local and independent – that the people who actually know that Dan Murphy's isn't independent are going to know and they're going to talk about it like us do and sneer about it a little bit. The people who actually shop there but want to feel just on a visceral gut level that, well, Dan Murphy, there was actually a guy called Dan Murphy. It's not just a <laughs> I don't know. Construct. It's really weird because I think, you know, Wade makes the point, isn't it just about most people want convenience and low prices. Yeah. If, if, if you care at all about independence, you're going to – work a lot harder to find your local independent bottle shop. If you are caring about convenience and low prices, and to his point, um, they've got a much larger craft Mm -hmm. range now. I mean, you're going to go, if it's BWS or Dan Murphy's, you're going to go to whatever's closest to you, aren't you? You're not going to drive across multiple suburbs. But they're potentially heading off that, um, you know, rise of the small independent bottle shops by going, hey, you know... yeah, we're just the same as them, but yeah. slightly bigger. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's strange. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, I appreciate that there must be very thoughtful research mm-hmm. that is backed up why that is a good ad. And I'm just really, really cynical about how stupid the average it consumer is. Well, I think. if the average consumer is told I agree that with there was you, a guy Claire. called 
Yeah. Oh, look, I thought it was very effective if that's... No, if I you didn't. Just want I was sitting on a back seat Unquestioning gullible consumers and tell them yeah, that, that there is a, a great so backstory to this brand. Why is he sitting on a be- with nuns? Like, what was the point of the nuns? Because it was funny. However, However Wade's point about also the fact that lots of breweries are now focusing yeah, on online sales. Agreed. I, I agree to a certain extent. I don't think Dan's... I think they, those are like drops in the ocean to Dan's. They, they, and this is sort of my point around... I don't know, like, if you are, if you care enough about getting a particular beer from a particular brewery, you might be the type of customer that goes out and, and buys direct. If you're the type yeah. of a person that cares about independence, you might drive three, four, five suburbs to get to your independent bottle shop. But mm-hmm. I don't understand what this ad was doing because if you care about convenience and the range of Dan Murphy's or, or BWS, mm-hmm. I mean, you're just going to go to whatever's local, aren't you? But there's yeah. just an increasing level of friction. Well, because yeah, Dan Murphy's is pretty local. Mm-hmm. But if you think that it's the, if you think it is just part of this huge monolith that is Coles, Woolies, yeah. things like that, then and you've got a little local it, it, celebrations nearby, you might start. If you think about the real competitive challenge in the Australian brewing landscape, I mean, um, the, the the duopoly around retail oh, is yeah. that's well, becoming yeah. when you've got Lion and CUB complaining, you know, yeah. not publicly but privately about. Well, you got you reckon we're a duopoly? Look at the the because yeah. they're wagging mm-hmm. that dog. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Which is why they want to make it look like they're this this poor battler called Dan Murphy oh, who had a busted truck stop. and broke down all the time, and you know, not this massive logistics. And you know, I hate it when that people screws try down the prices of uh, every craft brewer to get in there. Yeah, anyway, to sell shit. Oh, so yeah, so g- thank you, uh, Wade, for for sharing that. <laughs> yes, look what you've done, Wade. Um, now, <laughs> before oh. we, we, we're over the hour, um, <laughs> visibility of disability in, yes. in beer. So was, I th- this was the Dylan Allfroth, the, the young Henry's Dylan Allfroth Day. Day. Yeah, so I, um, I threw this in. So I um, have a sister who is disabled and so, you know, that, that's often really visible to me in a whole host of things. Um, and we've talked a lot about diversity in amongst customers and in amongst the industry and we've talked a lot about sort of women Um and I was really pleased to see um, that this was supporting um, the Dylan Olcott Foundation, which obviously does a lot around disability. But the ads and the positioning was sort of really similar to the way it would have been for sort of anything else. Mm. You know, like yeah. it wasn't making a show of disability. It was making a show of... It was of normal. It, it was, it was normalising yeah. disability and... Um, and, and, you know, Dylan has obviously done an amazing job of that. So I just thought it was, um, you know, smart advertising from Young Henry's, a, a good cause, but they did it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just pleased to see as someone who notices these sorts of things um, that, you know, um, people with disabilities are uh, drinking beer, they're consumers and they're part of our industry as well. And mm-hmm. I, I just... Um, I liked it altogether. And now that you say that, even in the smallest brew pubs that some of them that I've been to, they are much more accessible and friendly than you might think. As an able person, you don't think about that thing usually. So it's funny. Um, I did this, uh, and I've talked about it before, but I've taken my young child um, in a pram um, to a lot of breweries, 48 and <laughs> counting. Um, and... I think about accessibility to the brewery a lot. Mm -hmm. How many of them have got genuinely accessible um, bathrooms? How many of them don't have one step? So I really, um, because it's something I think about with my sister and then also with, 
you know, practicing it myself, it's something I think about a lot, like how accessible are our venues? Yep. And I know that there's a lot of legislation around that and when you're in old buildings it makes it difficult, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But I've been really pleased um, that a lot of breweries have thought about it mm-hmm. um, and, you know, even when you're in a bigger building this Tables are spaced further apart yeah, yeah. Um, so that you can move in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. There are varying sized high top, low tops, um, yep. it, you know, just all those sorts of things that you need to think about. Um, yep. Anyway, I just thought this was pleasing to see um, for Agreed. the things that I And value. I love it. I do love to see it when smaller breweries, not that saying that Young Harry's is that small, but smaller breweries getting on these causes and they do it because you know it comes from a good place number one and because it's the right thing to do but also because they know it's a smart move like yeah absolutely you you want to be inclusive not only as an employer but as somebody selling to the public this is the public this is what the public looks like so do it and and, and they clearly had an existing relationship like Mm. you you know the timing was good but they had clearly had an existing relationship so this wasn't something that the relationship with Dylan hadn't been brought about as a result of his success, it had already been there. So, I, yeah. I, you know, loved it. Nice one. Oh, look, I 100 agree on that. Um, it, it, it's one of those things uh, as a as a business owner is. I think it says a lot about you as a business and marks you out as being inclusive and welcoming and things. So, Young Henry's have done that brilliantly. In terms of, you know, like I'm hearing impaired it's incredibly stressful to go to most venues mm. and try and have a conversation. Mm. And I kind of sit here going, well, should I be upset that every, you know, think that every venue should cater to my, and a you know, significant percentage of the population are hearing impaired. Um, mm. And I'm also colourblind, which... <laughs> <laughs> but, well, I've got less sympathy on that one. <laughs> You've seen the dress. Um, but well, but think, think about it, 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 it. It's one of those. It's one of those things that there are so many, you know, color combinations. You can't mm. see one color on another. Very so when true. You, and you reading, don't know how it would impact. And you, yeah, and, and, fair and, enough, so, and fair one in twelve people. So it's one statistic that I do know. So mm-hmm. now, this is one of those challenging things that you know. If you're a venue that wants to attract families, mm-hmm. clearly you need to. You know, if you're presenting yourself as being a, um, you know, a, a venue that wants to attract families, then having Push to pram, yeah. Um, where you know through through shops, you just don't go there. Yep. Um, and, and that's where it is. You know, I, I think the more progressive, better businesses that want to show what their values are absolutely will consider. You know, as as widely mm-hmm. as you can. But you know, when you know hearing impaired is, is an issue, or colour blindness is is an issue. You know, how far do you have to go to? be in to, to, to do that and that, that that's one of the things that like realistically I don't you know I'll still go to venues um, and then try and find the quietest place that I can um, and I think that's I mean so in a lot of the breweries that I've experienced the full brewery is not accessible to you mm. if you have a pram or a wheelchair yep. but yeah. an area of it is accessible it to yeah, you yeah, yeah. and so you know b- back to your point which is uh, I mean I think that the noise in breweries just kills me most of the time you can't have a conversation somewhere and if you're setting yourself up to be somewhere where people come to meet and greet and have mm. a conversation and air their differences out over a beer you should be able to hear yourselves <laughs> and, and that's chat. one of the, the topics that so, we've looked at yeah so um, you know anyway um now the, the one other story just very conscious of, of the time but then again we didn't have a beer as a conversation this week so yeah apologies for that uh had a couple of our guests that were scheduled pull out or delay uh, or whatever. So um, we didn't. So we're giving Become you Become little... unexpectedly unavailable. Yes. <laughs> oh, is that the right? Oh, okay, sorry. Um, 
But now, interesting, the top 10 beers of 2021 from Untapped. Now, oh, yeah. this is interesting. You, you put this uh, into the list, uh, into the show notes, Sabrina, because now when I see in, in a world of top 10 lists, you tend to think that it's been voted or you know, something like that, because top 10 can be, you know, the the most popular, top 10 can be the most highly awarded, top 10 can be the biggest. Um, And so so it's interesting to see Untapped having a list that number one, one and two were pretty much a surprise. So this is the release of the 2021 top 10 beers from Untapped, and it's based on the number of check-in so it's not based on the rating it's based on the number of people that have made an assessment have bothered to go on untapped and make an assessment about that beer right and write leave a little review so um the number one beer is uh guinness and uh the number two beer is heineken um and the number three beer is punk iba ipa by brewdog and i put this in the show notes because i thought you know we had this whole conversation about gab's We've had the whole conversation around independent versus not um, and we keep having this conversation about breweries trying to reach beyond the bubble. And so, you know, untapped users who um, you might assume are just craft beer geeks, um, people who really, really care about, um, you know, the particular hop in a particular beer, um, have around the world on total voted... um, Guinness draft, yeah. well, uh, or not voted? They have Guinness checked in. Is and one used. of those beers. It's almost like it's a bit of an outlier because even though it's mainstream, like it's yeah. mainstream for, it's still one of those beers that a beer nerd would rather drink than other things on th- tap. Than, than Isn't that on, funny uh, well, in I, itself? I, I, I th- Interesting. Well, but it, particularly in Australia, and mm. maybe not globally, but for a long time, it was the only interesting beer that w- wasn't a lager, and so yeah. anyone that sort of had travelled the world. Same most places, yeah. We have a Guinness and not just on... They did a good job. But then Heineken, like that's the thing. Heineken is number two. uh, Either there are a whole lot of (laughs) ironic check-ins from beer nerds wanting to say, hey, I checked in a Heineken. Or, you know, it it just surprised me that... uh, So people are drinking... Across this whole list. Drinking it and rating it. And and taking the time to go into this app that they have on their phones that means that they're... Probably more interested in beer than you might. Mm-hmm. Bira Moretti um, it, it is one which, if you have it in Australia, is terrible. It's I, so it's oxidized. Good, and yeah, I had it in out. Sicily for the first time. Oh, it's good in Europe. Sorry. It, it, it's going to be, yeah, but it, it, it's <laughs> also a, in such a multi beer. Yeah, it was so good. Um, Celeratoire. Um, you know, <laughs> Miller Light. Miller Light, yeah. Oh, like, it's either that people that. doing it really, really. Uh, ironically, or maybe Untapped does reach outside of the craft beer bubble. In which case, doesn't... I would love to find... Well, see, that's the data, that the subset of that data I'd like to find out. How many of the people that have checked in these beers have checked in some obscure pointy head? So, um, shout out to Craft Beer Capital in Wellington who did some data on the um, Hottest 100. But they came out and said, of all the regions... 49 of the beers were produced in Wellington. So almost half of the beers in the hottest 100 New Zealand were based in Wellington. And my point was that's really great and interesting top-level data, but what I would be interested in is the user data. So where are the voters coming yep. from? Mm-hmm. It is the same in this untapped list. Like what are the profile of the voters? Where are they voting from? Um, you know, is this world – it's worldwide data, obviously, so where are they drinking it? Anyway, it's just – all in all, it's just um, – 
really fascinating yeah. to think about um, the way people in the bubble perceive beer, craft beer, what's happening in the market, and then the way that some of these third-party independent, untapped is independent, and I'm sure people have views on that, um, you know, how their data is being captured and what that's actually saying about what people are actually doing. If we've got 150 breweries in planning, the yep. craft beer market needs to grow. Okay. Now, some of those will bring in their own little audience, particularly the ones – and there we are starting to see some in regional oh, areas. Oh, so that was my – Although a lot of them are coming into the same areas that already have a, a high concentration of breweries and they're the ones that it's going to be very interesting to watch. One of the things we discussed was sort of are these new breweries of the 150, how many going into regional areas? Mm-hmm. And I just pulled out a couple, but there's some in Chinchilla, Gladstone, yep. Yapoon, Magnetic yep. Island, which mm-hmm. are all um, in Queensland. But I really loved this statement here from Beachport, um, an associated farming business and plans to use homegrown barley and Beachport beers. And that linked back to the conversation you were having, um, your beer as a conversation last week. It links back to this provenance. But I think there is still an opportunity in a market in these areas to build new fans mm. of mm-hmm. craft beer. Yep. So that is expanding the market. So going into places where craft is I keep using craft as all encompassing. Um, is craft ma- is a marketing term. We're in the post craft world. Okay, well, <laughs> I don't know. Beers that are not lager, um, to craft or, or an independent, that are not mainstream, <laughs> that, that are not mainstream national brands. But yeah, yeah. Let's right. come up with our own definition. Yeah, yeah. In, in a craft beer it. world, of the difference between macro and Everybody what else. a craft beer is. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you can have a craft lager. I was just going to say, well, you can have an independent lager. But that's where it comes down to purely a marketing term. Anyway, so my point is that mm-hmm. I think they are expanding in these smaller regions, potentially bringing in new people to our market of beer or craft beer. And so I think that's, you know, that's really great. The ones that are going to, that I find really fascinating are of the 150, how many are one suburb away, two suburbs away down the street from next to existing breweries that are already mm-hmm. dealing with all of the cost pressures we talked about before yep. and a market that hasn't isn't really expanding at the pace of the number of breweries. 100%. Consumer so. market. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on what should the definition of craft beer be these days because we, we talked about it 10 years ago and the definitions have certainly changed. Let us know how we should, you know, is it a marketing term? How should we define it as a marketing term? What makes for one of the better uh, little creatures or a James Squire Pilsner, which is a craft uh, lager, different from a mainstream beer, a mainstream lager. What definitions should we be using to make it clear what we're saying? make it clear what we're saying because independence, you can – like independence has a meaning because it's not the the, the big guys. What is craft beer these days in a post-craft world Mm. um, when adjuncts – and all of that. Oh, we're no, going to no, get another thread here. <laughs> no, but, but again, so what is, a, what, what is a craft beer? Because it's not, uh, not yep. fizzy yellow liquid anymore. No, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you know, better beer was being pitched when I asked Mark Hazeman about it. It was a craft beer. Like it was yeah. being pitched as a craft beer. That wraps up another week of news and the best beer discussion. And if you'd like to continue the discussion, you can join us on the best Facebook group uh just search for radio brews news on facebook your hosts have been me matt kirkegaard editor and founder of australian brews news claire burnett senior journaler
journaler. Oh, hello. Senior journaler. <laughs> oh, senior journalist. Because so <laughs> uh, I, I I, suddenly my brain was also about to say Sabrina. So uh, well Sabrina done. Kunz, who has no <laughs> current title other than panelist. Fabulous. Legend. <laughs> Influencer. Um, oh, no. Boo. What do they call it? Uh, what, what do no. they call those? No. Famous for being famous. Oh. <laughs> Is that you? No, we do beer no, tragic. We no that that's taken in Brisbane, so you can't call yourself the beer tragic. In well, Brisbane. I don't want to call myself anything. You want to you call are. me something. Well, people want to know who you she are because be your is. insights are valuable, which is why we keep getting you back. That's it. Um, the show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. Thank you to our supporters, Rallings, Label, Stickers and Packaging. Have we ever actually had No, we didn't. We forgot. We didn't. Yep, sorry. I forgot too late in the game. Insert if, it. if you were the New Zealand brewer that won the Hottest 100, <laughs> the Gab's Hottest 100, and you wanted to get that on the labels you sent to Australia, give Rallings. Sorry, <laughs> Rallings, guys. We do love you. We do love you. You do get pretty good value when we've given you a plug here. Bluestone Yeast. New Zealand Ale Trail and Thirsty Merchants who do the bar blades. And if you were read out in our uh, letter of the week, you will get a some merch. And if you can come up with a really meaningful definition of uh, what craft beer is these days or we think it's worthwhile incorporating in ours, you'll get some merch probably from Thirsty Merch and others. Thank you all for listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au or leave a review on your favourite podcasting service. And we're out. Boom.